Hey, it's Bill Simmons. Today's episode of Channel 33 is brought to you by SeatGeek, the presenting sponsor for my podcast, as well as the only fan-friendly app for buying and selling tickets for sports and music. With just two taps on your phone, you can instantly buy SeatGeek tickets to an event, and you can enter that event just using your phone. No paper tickets. Drop your old ticket app. Use one that's built for 2016. Download the free SeatGeek app or go to SeatGeek.com. And don't forget to check out my fairly new website, TheRinger.com, for the very best in sports, tech, and pop culture coverage. And don't forget about The Ringer Podcast Network, which features Keeping It 1600, The Watch, Channel 33, Shack House, and our Ringer shows for the NFL, NBA, and MLB. And finally, don't forget about my new television show, Any Given Wednesday, which runs every Wednesday night at 10 p.m. on HBO and reruns on HBO Now, HBO Go, and HBO On Demand. Hello, and welcome to the Channel 33 Soccer Podcast. My name is Chris Ryan. I'm joined by Ryan O'Hanlon. Pregnant pause. How you doing, Chris? Uh, we are back. We are going to try and do these every other Thursday starting from now. We also were thinking about trying to give it a better name. But every time I think of one, it's like the overlapping run. Yeah, the boot room. Yeah, the counter press. Sorry if anybody has soccer podcasts, they're already <laughs> called that. I'm not, no shots. Uh, Ryan and I are going to ask each other uh, four questions each. Eight, eight questions about the Premier League and soccer in general, worldwide, but not MLS uh, today. So to start off with, Ryan, I want to ask you a question. Is Jose Mourinho too lonely to be a champion? I think the answer is yes. So for anybody who's like, what are you talking about? The last few days have seen uh, a 100% uptick in, <laughs> in the amount of stories about how lonely the Manchester United manager is. So apparently he is living in a hotel in, in central Manchester, like basically mm-hmm. the equivalent of Times Square or, or Sunset and Vine in Hollywood. And he can't go out of the house because people, like, recognize him and mob him, so he can't, like, take a walk. And then his family is still living in London. Uh, and, and so he's just, like, alone in a hotel getting stuff delivered to him. I, I find it – it's kind of sweet how he, like – he clearly, like, really misses his kids and his wife. Yes. Um, I think his – Either his son or his daughter is 19 and the other one's 14. Yeah, so they're like, like playing soccer already, I think. Yeah, yeah. Jose Jr. Yeah. Uh, Jose Jr. <laughs> Jose Jr. Uh, so they can't move. Um, and, and it's nice to see, like, you know, this guy who's pretty cold a lot of the time. Like, you know, he actually cares for his family. It's kind of sweet. But, yeah, he's staying at this hotel. Um and I found a Yelp review for the hotel, yeah, so I want to read it to you. The Jose Mourinho Yelp review. Yeah. Here. This isn't his Yelp review. This reviews. is the worst Yelp review of the Lowry Hotel, which I'm sure is sure is great. I mean, I actually, <laughs> I actually have no idea. Um, this is a review. Too cold, too contemporary, not enough pizzazz. It's the only five-star hotel in Salford, not Manchester, as it likes to brand itself. Point two. Shots itself. <laughs> Menu for food is out of this world. Quite pricey, but I guess you get what you pay for. But Jose has been getting what sounds like whatever the Manchester version of Seamless is, though. He's it, like, oh, it I, does. the apps are great he, here. He literally said, but I have my apps. Yeah. Which I, I can't picture him using a phone. <laughs> um, and then the last line is very high turn- turnover of staff, and it shows in their lack of professionalism. 
if you wanted to apply this Yelp review to what's happening in Manchester United, okay. I think it's, it would almost be too on the The notes. reason this story is funny outside of just its surface you know, humor is Jose Mourinho has been having, obviously, a kind of a, a rocky start. Now, we just recording, as we're recording this, Manchester United just knocked, uh, I would say, less than full-strength Manchester yeah, City the side plus Manchester the City team. EFL Cup. Yeah. It really rolls off the tongue. <laughs> but it's been just... You know, rumors about players finding Jose to be a little bit distant and remote. He's known for being a real stickler for detail. And at Chelsea, you always used to read about how he ran all the sessions and just had, like, really personal relationships with all the players and would motivate each one in different ways. And a lot of those guys from those first Chelsea uh, title teams would sound like they would die for him. You know, it, it was a really intense relationship. Yeah. And now it just sounds like he's being a lot more remote. I mean, if the Daily Mail were to be believed, and I for personally have never found them to be anything but 100% accurate in their football reporting. I agree. Um, it, it, it speaks to a larger condition where it's just like, is this his team? What's going on behind the scenes? Did he have... Did he get the players that he wanted? I don't know that. I mean, Bailly's really good, but I don't know if he got the other center back that he wanted. He still doesn't have a central defensive midfielder. They're really locked down that side of the park. But the crazy thing is, is that he's just got talent coming out of every part of his team. And Manchester United are basically like are grinding like a Pontiac up a hill. Yeah, I would say that I the Daily Mail and the Intercept are my two most trusted yeah. sources. They're kind of similar too. The Intercept soccer coverage is outstanding. It's it's phenomenal. Um, I the thing about this is that you you kind of like the emotional connection was sort of the main thing that you thought Mourinho had with his players, like convincing them either convincing all of these talented players they needed to like knuckle down and play defense for 90 minutes and like just you know inspiring them to play their best yeah. you know to use a cliche and it's like if he doesn't have that at Manchester United which he clearly I think doesn't have right. it's like then what what really is it's, there he, he might just be the wrong stylistic manager for this style of team I don't really know who would be the right one I think yeah. maybe Ancelotti or something like that somebody who just plays good football but understands big egos and isn't really in the business of putting himself in front of those players. It's sort of strange to have Pogba, Zlatan, Wayne Rooney, all these big players to say nothing of like Schneiderlin and Herrera and all these talented guys who are basically on the periphery of the team and still have all like 85% of the headlines be about Jose. Yeah, exactly. I I think the one, I mean, it doesn't seem like there was any real thought behind how the team was put together beyond let's buy the most expensive player that that would conceivably come here in that process. Yeah. Um, and Ancelotti, I think you're exactly right. His main skill is that he's able to figure out how to use misplaced parts and mm-hmm. put them together. Mourinho's thing is finding the players that will listen to him and play his yeah. style, and he just really wasn't given that. Bonus question off this one. Are a man you going to make the Champions League this year? No. Okay. Uh, so why don't you ask your first question? Okay. First question, Arsene Wenger, yes. Jose Mourinho's best friend. Yeah. Uh, Jose Mourinho's favorite pervert, as he would say. Jesus. <laughs> um, is Arsene Wenger smarter than all of us with his team currently in first place? Arsene Wenger's really good at buying players. He just takes too long to buy them. Mm-hmm. Like, like Mustafi seems like a really good center back. Um, you know, uh, the the three central defensive midfielders he has now, Shaka, uh, Coughlin, and um, El Nani, like, mm-hmm. are all really solid. Yeah. Uh, he has probably the best collection of attacking midfielders outside of Spain at mm-hmm. his disposal. 
still hasn't bought a striker per se. Like, I mean, I know Lucas was supposed to be basically bargain bin Jamie Vardy. Yeah. But um, I think that he is doing a really nice job of winning all the games they're supposed to win. Yeah. So I, I it, it, the, the jury is still out. I think that the, hot streak Theo Walcott is tough to ride. Yeah. And there you just know that there is a six-week Alexis thigh injury coming. There is probably a Meza Ozil gets the mid-season break flu thing coming. Yeah. I just, it, that, that's a, there's a couple of really important parts of that team. I do find it pretty interesting that they have really clicked together without Ramsey. Mm-hmm. Um, what do you think of that? I think I, I agree for the most part. They're... They were terrible against Liverpool in that first game. Mm-hmm. Um, even though it was four three, I don't think it was really that close. Um, and to give up four goals is just bad yeah. in any situation. But they've had these amazing highs. Like they totally destroyed Chelsea, who you know is one of the best teams in the league. And I think they're the issue with Arsenal. I feel like for this season is that they're when everything's clicking, the team looks totally like incredible yeah like unstoppable maybe the best team when they're you know going forward at full speed but it's like it seems like the littlest thing can sort of trip them up so it's really hard to for me to put faith in them that they're gonna stay at this level and you know win the premier league watching arsenal chelsea and manchester united this year so far Mm -hmm. it's like watching the three best teams from 18 to 24 months ago yeah and it just feels like then there's City, Tottenham, and Liverpool mm-hmm. who are playing soccer with fucking batteries strapped to their backs. Yeah. And it, it doesn't <laughs> seem like... I, I, I want to see Arsenal get the counter-press to death. Like, I want to see Mustafi getting hounded by yeah. three forwards running all around, like, every outlet that he has. And, you know, like, we'll see what happens when they start, when when those fixtures really, really pile up for those guys, when Europe gets more intense. Right now, I think they've they've avoided a lot of the things that have hamstrung them in the past. Like, for instance, like, get, being really out of it, like, being behind in their yeah. Champions League group and having to, like, devote a lot of resources towards qualifying or... Just being terrible at the beginning of the season. Yeah, just, like, <laughs> and having to play catch-up and having to fend off, like, Wenger out stuff. Yeah. I, I, I will be interested. So we were, t- we, you and I were watching a little bit of highlights between um, Chelsea and Manchester United, and that seemed like that kind of like that would have been what would be the class of the Premier League about twenty four months ago, where it would just yeah. been like really well organized teams with some really good attacking individuals, if yeah. not flowing beautiful attacks. And now it just feels like it's a different sport. Twenty four months later, it really does. Like it, it feels like. Yeah, just like a simpler version of the game that was like, you know, it's kind of like, that's cute that you guys played this way, but we have this entire team that's playing the same way, running, you know, nonstop for 90 minutes. And like, you might stop the machine for 90 minutes, but it's going to keep moving forward the next game. So I have a question here, which is basically maybe don't play in Europe. Mm -hmm. And that's a question because Chelsea and Liverpool seem like they... Are, I mean, Chelsea's had a little bit of an up-and-down start, and, and and there was even rumors about Conte being in trouble, which sounds yeah. ridiculous, but is not that ridiculous when you consider Roman Abramovich. But <laughs> it's even more ridiculous, Conte's reaction was amazing, where he's just like, yeah, in Italy, I already would have been fired. Yeah. You know, uh, <laughs> But these teams that don't have to worry about outside, um, outside competitions, like foreign competitions, 
I do think that when you're trying to rebuild a squad, especially if you don't have the I have 22 world class players lineup, it really does help not to have to go to friggin' uh, Bucharest on a Thursday. And you can see Chelsea's law. I mean, Man U has lost or drawn each of the. I think they drew one uh, after one Thursday, and then they lost after one Mm -hmm. Thursday. It's not, and you can just also see that Mourinho has no interest in being in the Europa League. Yeah. What do you think? Do you think that like staying out of Europe is actually a tactic? It's, I guess, in some way, it's hard. It can't just be a tactic because then, like, what are you playing for? Because well, I just mean that if you you're know. in fifth, should you just be ninth? Yeah, like the Europa League question yeah. of not wanting to be in the Europa League. I think it's there. There is an argument you can make that you should just finish eighth or ninth because Leicester is is 100% the example of why you should be in the Champions League yeah because Leicester got a good group they've basically already qualified they have a perfect system for Champions League and they're gonna have a really like they're gonna have a pretty tasty game in the first knockout like Leicester's going to the round of 16 yeah and for a team like Leicester the bump I mean you know it's the bump isn't as big as it used to be from the Champions League because the EPL teams get so much TV money, but for Le- Leicester compared to all the rich teams, the Champions League, you know, you know, match day revenue and the payments you get, that's a huge deal. It's a huge deal. Like they were talking about this on the football ramble with, with Celtic, and they, I, I had noticed that I had been sort of thinking about Celtic more in the last yeah. two months than I have in the last three years. And part of it is that they played a couple of like they got their asses kicked one time but they played in a really exciting man city game which pretty much set man city down the road of of this bump that they're having now this wobble and um i i just all of a sudden was like wow like it's so romantic to see celtic in the champions league they have yeah. an incredible stadium and they were talking about this on the football ramble where like if you're musa dembele and you want to get yourself on global television playing against big teams you can start and be the fulcrum of like a celtic offense like that's pretty good yeah and you all of the dembele rumors are like directly tied with him playing and playing well against manchester city so there 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 is that appeal i think with celtic and with leicester there is like this thing of with Celtic, it's like they're going to make the Champions League every year. So when they're in it, they might as well just like try to play yeah. in a way that's fun and encourages a guy like Dembele to want to even come to the team. Yeah. And Leicester sort of has nothing to lose, too, because I think it's obvious they're not going to make the Champions League again, at least through the Premier League. They'll probably win the Champions League this year <laughs> yeah. and yeah. make it again. But they, they also have nothing to lose. With them, it it almost seems like like a guy like Mares is like just playing his best in the Champions League and like yeah, whatever. It's, it's probably <laughs> really. if 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 Arsenal is is glad that they didn't buy him now, I'm sure PSG will, will yeah. be in for him next year if, yeah. if he keeps playing well in Champions League. So why don't you ask your other question? Um the next question is did the striker suddenly go extinct without anyone telling us? Uh this is this is big. And this is off the back of I think not only Daniel Sturge being relegated to playing cup games um, but Sergio Aguero being suggested that Guardiola is making him available for sale and that what he really wants is Aubameyang from Dortmund to play. Mm-hmm. I do wonder whether or not you're going to start to see basically like not necessarily Luciano Spalletti four six zero yeah for formations, but a 
a school of thought that says like let's get goals from everywhere on the field because relying on a striker both to be in form and healthy because this that's what Arsenal's problem is right yeah. they don't have somebody like Van Persie or Henri who's banging in 30 goals a season so they're dependent on Alexis Sanchez Theo Walcott an up and down Giroud and getting goals from the midfield from Cazorla from Ramsey yeah. from Ox whoever Liverpool doesn't really have that problem. Tottenham, when they're playing well, doesn't really have that problem. They yeah. have goals all over the field. The only thing is that I, there is there is a logic to strikers being important. I, yeah, it, it is kind of stunning. The Guardiola thing, I think, has a lot more to do with his need to kind of reject and repudiate whatever has come before him, so that he can assert his own control over the team. Yeah, I, I think that there's one way to look at the like decline of the striker in that way because a striker you know is essentially this guy that scores goals and is kind of outside the game in some ways like and almost outside of the manager's control while if you put like a tactically intelligent i'm using air quotes as i say that if you put sun in yeah sun from tottenham you put a guy like that who's just going to run around and sort of rotate with all the front players that's more of like a tactic that the manager's implementing so it's more control and i think you know the idea with that with the spalletti thing that you mentioned where they would have toti playing up top Mm -hmm. um which I guess Arsenal is kind of doing with Sanchez. Well, you can, I mean, I honestly think that they should probably do that with Manchester United, where they should have Zlatan basically coming in yeah. and setting up all of these other attacking players that they yeah. have. Well, he tries to anyway. Yeah, you know, I know. He's dropping. the problem is that there's like two other guys like standing next to him, basically. Yeah, I, I, I agree. But, you know, it's there is some... There's a lot of logic behind mm-hmm. it also, in addition to a manager just wanting to, you know take more control over his team but I think the thing that's interesting at least with Liverpool is that you would think at least against the worst teams in the league Sturridge is pretty vital because they pack it in and maybe Liverpool's sort of counter pressing doesn't work when the other team doesn't even want the ball and you know soccer we talk all we want about possession and like progressing the ball up the field and pressing but like all that matters is if you can score goals. Yeah. <clears throat> and whether that's, like, nipping in and t- touching in a rebound, whether it's, like, just knowing where to be on a cross, even if you don't do anything the rest of the game, it's still so valuable. Yeah, it's Benteke. Exactly. It's, which, it's, it's also, like, why Lukaku is going to get sold for $75 million when he finally gets sold. This yeah, or so... why, you know, Lewandowski just signed a huge yeah. new deal with Bayern Munich. Um, Outside of this top group of coaches that you have at the top of the Premier League, a lot of whom have sort of, with the exception of Klopp and Pochettino, who have had a little time at their clubs, the newer ones like Mourinho and Guardiola are obviously, like, grappling with their ideas versus the, the players that they have. Yeah. You know, and the, and the club's identity. I mean, Marino's not bringing through... I mean, I guess he plays Rashford, but it, it, that idea that you play free-flowing, attacking football with homegrown yeah. products, you know... And I mean, he's playing Rashford, but then he's not playing Martial, the, right. you know... Right, who might be the best pure striker he's got other yeah. than Abramovich, yeah. Um, okay, my next question is... Um, and this is a fun one. Okay, so we were just reading a piece this week, I believe it came out, uh, by our buddy Tom Payne, who sometimes writes for The Ringer. Mm-hmm. Um, I w- what, what's the name of that website? Spilver Lagerung. Okay, we can put out a link to the podcast goes. But Tom wrote a piece about Sevilla and their victory over Atletico Madrid, and he was talking about how Samir Nazari 
was sort of the focal point for the Sevilla attack, and is it's basically like, you know, they've got is that a loan that they they got him on? I think I believe so. So yeah. I think they got Nazri on loan from City, and this is an example of um, somebody who had been relegated to just being a role player on a really big team, now becoming a huge part of a smaller team. Yeah. And I was saying to Ryan, if you could pick one underused player to be your Nazri Sevilla guy. So you go out, you get somebody from one of these bigger clubs and turn that guy into X. This this Nazri figure on a smaller club, who would the player be? Who would the team be? Uh the player is Cesc Fabregas. Okay. Who we basically talk about on every podcast. Um <laughs> who I think, you know, he's fallen out of favor in Chelsea, I think mainly because he just isn't the defensive player that Antonio Conte wants Mm -hmm. from center midfield. But I think that he's just, he's just such an amazing passer from like weird angles. Like he creates so many chances and he doesn't have to be super high up the field. Like most guys do. Yeah. Um, That he's just so unique and so talented that there's a way for any manager to fit him into the team if they want to. Um, So the team that I would want him to go to, I'm going to say, let's say Valencia, just because that's, you know, a team I think we would all, we all, you know, would like to see be good again in Spain Um, and just play him as like how Juventus used to play Pirlo, surround him with, you know, guys that are going to run up and down the field and let him just pass the ball from wherever the hell he wants. Be like a Rick Helme, but farther back. So I was going to pick Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain and just be like Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain should just be the the star of Sunderland, mm-hmm. you know, they yeah. need, need somebody. They should just. <laughs> I, I I think that that's that's one way of looking at. It. But the more I was thinking about it, the more I think that um, Wayne Rooney should go to uh, Inter Milan. Uh, not that they don't <laughs> oh have somebody God. who could play that position already there, but uh, and I don't even really care about Wayne Rooney. But Wayne Rooney needs to be on a team where he is the best player on the team. Yeah, uh, I think that that was. He was really successful with Ronaldo, but at this point in his career, you know, Wayne Rooney being the third best striker and the fourth, fourth or fifth, fourth or fifth best striker and the fourth or fifth best midfielder on a team doesn't really work. So he should just play the 10 on a team that where he can be the focal point. And I think since his pace has been really the problem over these la- this last year, especially going to a league where speed isn't the hugest deal would work for him so an inter has a history of, of signing players from other countries so i think wayne rooney to inter milan you're gonna get attacked by all the inter fans who uh just heard you say that wayne rooney would be the best player on inter okay so who's the best player <laughs> on inter uh i'm gonna stand by you and say that rooney would be the best player on inter i don't maybe he won't maybe he wouldn't i'm not trying to make it into a joke i know no, i know i know still has 18 months before he's like okay, now go play in China or something. The idea of Rooney playing in, in Italy is actually really fun. I just, because it just feels like he could do that thing where he drifts a little. I know you're supposed mm-hmm. to be tactically precise in Italy, but I feel like he could do some stuff in Italy because his pace would not be, he wouldn't be required to be exploding off the ball and getting in behind people. He could make, he could he could finish, which he does really well. He could pick out some passes. He would have a little bit more time on the ball. And I think because they're more... It, the defensive orientation of the league would allow him not to have to do what Mourinho asks, which is just doing a lot of tracking back and a lot of like hounding people. Which yeah. even though he's good at it, it wears him down. Yeah, and not not to say that Wayne Rooney is uh, Toti, but Toti is still dominating Syria and he barely even moves. Yeah. So yeah. you know there there's a precedent for that being a way to succeed in Italy. 
Okay. Next question. Um, is N'Golo Conte the best player in the Premier League? No, but here's what I really like about what's happening with N'Golo Conte at Chelsea is we have a tendency because we, when we talk about these things, if you read writing about it, that, that we think about these teams in very fixed ways. We think about players in very fixed ways. And um, I think, you know, when we saw Conte and Matic lining up, we were just like, oh, you know, Antonio Conte is going to set up this boring team. He's going to have this base of these central defensive midfielders just so that they don't concede. Um, but if you watch Conte over the last three games, he's like basically playing more like a shabby Alonso style mm-hmm. with a little bit, but with like with Gerard's energy. I, I know that that's like a very Liverpool centric way of looking at a player. Yeah, but that's but it's, it's that's just an to illustrate it. Like he's making the simple perfect pass, but then he's moving up. Yeah, like I've just seen him making a lot of runs. I'm sure heat maps will tell me I'm wrong or whatever. Yeah, he scored against. Uh, against Manchester United over the weekend. He's just been looking really, really good recently, and he still is doing that thing where he can win the ball back basically in any situation in any part of the field. Yeah, it's interesting because, you know, you think of, like, a defensive midfielder as, like, a shield that sort of controls everything, but he's, like, a defensive first guy who you want to just be able to go everywhere and just unleash him. Um, And, yeah, I think that's sort of the most impressive part is, like, all the stuff he does once he gets the ball. Um, to cycle it forward. I think it might sound like it on its face. It seems like a ridiculous question to ask if he's the best player, but like part of what we're saying with strikers, the guys that have this massive value just because they score, if they're now being you know relegated yeah. from their primacy, it, it it's maybe not. I mean, I think the question I, for me, the person is if if he keeps scoring at the clip that he's scoring, which is more than he typically has, is Ozil. I yeah. think Ozil's the best player yeah. this year. I would agree. Um, but Conte has been just... It, it was not like a weird Leicester thing. Like, Conte is probably one of the three or four best central defensive midfielders in the world. Yeah, and now Chelsea's even playing... You know, Conte has finally started playing three in the back. Yeah. Um, and it's like a 3-4-3 three, three with two center mids, basically. Yeah. And, you know, you, just, you can do that, I guess, when you have Conte just being like three different people at once. All right, I'm going to ask you your last question. Okay. All right. We don't know anything about the EPL. Three teams tied on 20 points. Um, goal difference separates Manchester United, Manchester City, Liverpool, and Arsenal. Uh, got United falling out of the top four. You've got Everton starting fast, but you know maybe tripping up a little bit. Uh, we don't know anything about the EPL, but what's one thing you're sure about? Whole City will be getting relegated. <laughs> Even though Sunderland only has two points. I mean, Sunderland's probably going down, too. Sunderland, I think, have not been as bad as their points total suggests. Okay. Um, But the thing is, at that, like, just the bottom of the table, you know, you're only winning so many points to begin with. So if you're behind from the start, you're kind of fucked. But I guess we do say that about Sunderland literally every season, and they eventually um, find their way to get out. I just think Hull, like, are just so bad like one of the worst teams we've seen in the premier league in recent memory their their numbers are terrible um expected goals numbers are terrible and you just watch anyone play them and it's like it's so easy for teams to get the ball into the box like in a way that i just haven't seen it i think the the quality of the premier league this year is awesome like as good as we've seen in a long time from like first to like (laughs) seven yeah first to 
to 12th, but Hull is like one of the worst teams we've seen. And, you know, I guess we, sh- we should have expected this when they came into the Premier League without a manager and like four players on their roster. Um, What's your answer? Okay. The thing that I am sure about, sure is really, this is really strong. Yeah. The top three question. right now are going to be the top three in this order at the end of the season. So City first, Arsenal second, Liverpool third. Yeah. I don't know about Liverpool, Tottenham, or Manchester United. But so my, my, my first my answer to this question was going to be one of Tottenham or Liverpool are really going to explode like in a bad way. Not, okay. not, that I just can't imagine two teams playing at this pace over the course of the season with the amount of games that they have to play over Christmas in the cold, in the rain. You know, no matter what kind of depth they have, one of these teams is just going to run into a brick wall. And I think that it might be Tottenham just because of the extra European games. Yeah. Um, but I, th- I, I have a feeling like this is going to be the top three. I'm pretty sure of it. I, I would. I think Man City. I think we still would both probably. I mean, I, we both would I, say I that they're going to win. I know he's only had six points or something like that, where he hasn't won. In, he hasn't won in, a, in in six games, right? Yeah, I think with today's loss, all, it's the longest he's ever gone yeah. without winning a game. And I don't really know what's going on because they have De Bruyne back. They have Aguero. He's got Fernandinho, who he wishes he could play at every position. Yeah, he's got got his new he got his new keeper in. Yeah, I, I I'm not exactly sure. I just think that they got a little bit found out by Celtic and a couple of other teams who were like, if you just do do this, if you if you go for it against them, they have yeah. they are frail defensively. But I just I don't know, man. It's hard for me to imagine that they're just going to be like this for the rest of the year. Yeah, I agree. I, I think I would attribute some of it to there have been a lot of stupid individual mistakes yeah. defensively it's not like a systemic issue which you know bodes well for fixing itself in the future and it's been a tough a tough run of games um basically i think it, i, I and, and my my answer for arsenal too is if kashelny stays healthy i think that arsenal is going to finish in the top two kashelny is that important i think he's the best center central defensive center back on that team and i think that you can see that when Arsenal plays a center back pairing like that, when he gets a partner, mm-hmm. like he had it with Murdersacker for a while, but if you have a consistent partnership for a while, like that Arsenal system tends to win games. It's good, you know? Yeah. It's just really about like having subpar players plugged into those positions. Yeah, exactly. There's never there's never a plan B for Arsenal and the plan A has like almost no margin for yeah. error, it feels like I would I think City, Liverpool, and Chelsea, for me, those teams are all going to finish top four, and I feel pretty confident in that. Okay. Beyond that, I don't, I don't really know. Yeah. I, I think um, the Arsenal game was weird, um, and they haven't really been able to come from behind in any games yet. Yeah. Um, they're just built to play with the lead, um, so we don't really know what happened with that, but I think... Overall, the Arsenal game stands out because they just got run over, and then they lost to Liverpool too. But I think that game was actually reasonably close. But other than that, they've been pretty dominant. Yeah. Um, and they don't have Liverpool and Chelsea don't have Europe, which is a big factor. All right. Well, we'll be back in two weeks to talk more about the Premier League. And until then, talk to you soon.